The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 226 of The Real Food Real, we share with you an interview from 21st Century Women, where I discuss food fads and bust some big myths in the food space. You will learn all about meal frequency and timing, how to build your plate and an ideal day on the plate, the significance of the magic S word, satiety, how to fuel your workouts, how to start experimenting with fasting, and so much more. Let's dive straight into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. So first of all, how important is eating frequently? Is it a fad, a myth, or something we should really concentrate on? Yeah, it's a great one to start with because it is a something that everyone's heard at least once. You know, we've all been told to eat every two to three hours to speed up our metabolism, and it is a myth. So I believe it's funded by big food because they want us to eat their products every couple of hours. And the unfortunate irony is that when we look at our Western food guidelines, they're very high in refined carbohydrates and they are foods that only keep you full for a small period of time. So the byproduct of that is that you have to graze, right? And usually we're grazing on portable foods like muesli bars or low-fat yogurts and we are supporting the industry that has unfortunately made us sick and largely overweight in the West. So when I teach about meal frequency to optimise our fat-burning potential, it actually comes down to eating less frequently. You know, there's this magic S word that I talk about all the time, S for satiety. And satiety is that feeling of fullness that you should get when you eat. So outside of being pregnant, of course, <laughs> you should be able to get, you know, five hours out of breakfast, which takes you through till lunch and five hours out of lunch, which may take you through to dinner, depending on the length of the eating window and what's on for the back half of your day. There may be room for a small snack in the afternoon if dinner is later, 
but we're really looking at three meals and or one snack a day. None of these five to six or more meals that we've seen recommended for so long in the Western world. I did not expect you to say that. I thought, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I really didn't expect that. So when you eat at three o'clock, everybody gets really hungry or wants a sugar hit when you're in front of your computer at work. So you're saying, how do we master that? Let's talk about meal times and what's the most important meal of the day. How do we how do we transition if we've been eating all these small meals for so long? How do we make that work? Yeah, it's a great question. It's important to remember that the hunger that you're experiencing, or for a lot of us, that 3.30-itis, which we call it, it's well known as being that time when you crash and you need sugar, carbs, caffeine, or a nap underneath your desk at work, which is obviously <laughs> very inconvenient at that time of the day. Now, it's important to remember that that experience is a direct result of your previous food choices. So, Yes, if you're following a Western food pyramid and if you're eating lots of cereal and toast and muesli bars and sandwiches, then you're on this blood sugar roller coaster. So it's this literal up and down in energy. Other people feel it. They physically feel the energy and then the crash and the cravings that come as a result of that. So, you know, we don't actually look at 3.30 eat that time on its own. We look at what else you've been doing. So those previous food choices. So you know, my model that I've been teaching at The Natural Nutritionist since 2011 is all about real food. And when you focus on real food, so food that comes out of the ground off a tree or from an animal, the latter being a personal preference, of course, then naturally you're significantly reducing the refined carbohydrates and they're the ones that create the blood sugar roller coaster and the crash at 3.30 or 4 p.m. So it really comes down to addressing those main meals. Now, one of your questions was, what is the most important meal of the day? I still believe it to be breakfast, but what's really interesting, if we look at that word and break it into two, it says break and fast. It doesn't say 7 a.m. It doesn't say Kellogg's or cereal or toast. It literally is the first meal of the day. Now, breaking your fast can definitely occur at like 9 a.m. or brunch time or more traditional lunchtime, but that is really to do with lots of factors, including where your metabolism and physiology is at the moment. You know, fasting is probably a topic that we'll speak about as well because it is so vogue, but as a general rule, most of us should be starting with at least 12 hours between dinner the night before and breaking the fast the next day. So that can give you a little bit of a guide as to where to put that first meal, especially if you're newer to this space and to this knowledge. Um, and then if you're new, we try and set the goal of having about four-hour windows. But as I said just before, five hours or more is definitely possible when you eat real food and when you transition from that sugar-burning metabolism, which comes as a byproduct of our Western food guidelines, into a fat-burning metabolism, which can be created with real food and lower-carb healthy fats. So, Steph, can we t can you give us one day? What does a meal look like for one day based on all of this advice that you recommend? Can you talk us through the breakfast, the lunch, your dinners? What should be on our plates? And also, we all, well, we don't all, but a lot of us do like a coffee or we do, you know, like, you know, whether it's in the morning or, or in the afternoon. So when do we add things like that in and when do we add, you know, an apple or a piece of fruit in if and, you know, when sure. we need it? 
For sure. So I'm going to take you through a concept which I call build your plate in terms of what to actually be building your meals with and then I'll dive into like practical examples of what that actually might look like across the course of a day. So when we're looking to get the most nutrient-dense food on our plate, which is should be the goal the majority of the time, of course, like 80% of the time at least, then we should be starting to build our meal with two cups of non-starchy veggies. So this is anything green, and then we try to say eat the rainbow. So, you know, carrots, pumpkin, tomato, mushroom, eggplant, everything green, lots of colour, non-starchy veggies, and at least two cups per meal. Then we look at protein. Now, protein can come from animal or plant. If it's animal, it's about a palm size. For women, 120 grams or three eggs would be the equivalent. If it's plant-based, it might be a cup of chickpeas, lentils, or legumes. Now, healthy fats then go on the plate. So I tend to talk about a range between one to two portions per day. So if we break this down, one portion is either half an avocado or two tablespoons of nuts, seeds, nut butters, or oils. And it might be two tablespoons, or it might be four. Now, a lot of that depends on your appetite um, and meal frequency. In general, though, like that changes the longer you're, you're on this health journey. Um, complex carbohydrates, I always say last to the plate. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to add them physically last in that order. It's that you don't want to add the starch or the grains or the fruit at the expense of the non-starchy veggies, proteins, and healthy fat. So it might be half a cup of potato or it might be one small piece of fruit. Um, and that doesn't have to be in every meal. Again, that's very individual. So our carbohydrate requirements are definitely relative to a few things, including our exercise intensity. So if you do more high-intensity exercise, then you need more carbohydrates. Um, but if you've got a fat loss goal, you tend to be eating a little bit less of those um, starches, grains, and fruit. So maybe one to two serves across the entire day would be a fairly general rule. Right. And then what about exercise, Steph? So if you're exercising in the morning or the night and you need a little extra oomph, is that a myth? Mm -hmm. Do you need the extra little bit or the meal time should they suffice? Yeah, so it comes down to the intensity and it's important to look at that when we talk about exercise. So anything that's aerobic, easy, recovery, conversational pace should be a perfect fat-burning session. So they're the ones you want to do, quote-unquote, empty or fasted. So before breakfast is the perfect time because naturally you've been sleeping and not eating. Now, a lot of people find that if it's a morning session, they don't actually feel like anything. So it can also be possible to do a high-intensity session first thing, fasted, because we've got plenty of muscle glycogen available, yeah, unless we're going beyond two hours high-intensity, which would be an absolute rarity and would apply to such a minute percentage of the population. We've got muscle glycogen, which is our, carb our carbohydrate stored in our muscle, and we've got that to use for that high-intensity session. The difference becomes in that afternoon where some people find that, okay, they've eaten lunch at 12 or 1, they're training at 6 o'clock, you know, it's a long time and you're starting to feel quite hungry. So I would tend to recommend a small piece of fruit with some healthy fats for blood sugar control, like some nut butter on your banana or your apple or a handful of nuts for something even more portable. 
And so your food combining, yeah, you've got the carbohydrates from the fruit and then the healthy fats to extend the magic S word, satiety. So you're getting the energy for the session without the big peak and trough that fruit on itself or by itself could give you. Then you've got some fuel for your workout and you go home and have that beautiful dinner meal. Gotcha. And then I don't know if we touched on it before, but the coffee. Mm. When do you drink your coffee? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's another good question. So it really it depends on how you drink your coffee, right? So I don't have a problem with coffee itself. The larger problem is the volume of milk that we add to our coffee in the West because cow's milk is the one of the most insulinogenic food. And if we talk about insulin just really briefly, it's a fat storage hormone. So we want insulin to be low, whereas cow's milk is going to spike those insulin levels. So if you're having a big grande latte in between meals, you're completely cancelling out any fat-burning potential. So that's very different to you having like a macchiato with a dash or a long black. So technically if it's got no milk or very little milk, you can have it between meals. But the more milk and sort of calories that are in that um, coffee, the best you are to have it with a meal so it doesn't interfere with those little mini fasting windows that you do get when you have great blood sugar control and you're only eating every five hours. Now, there's another kind of coffee that's really vogue at the moment called a bulletproof coffee. We call it an MCT coffee. Um, You use MCT oil, which you can get from Melrose Health and grass-fed butter or ghee, and you blend that up with your shop or two, depending on how you like to drink your coffee, of course. It becomes nice and frothy like a latte and it is actually, we use it in our fasting protocols as a breakfast replacement. Maybe once or twice a week it goes in as breakfast and then your 12-hour fast becomes like a 14, 15 or 16-hour fast and fasting is a really great ancient health strategy and so effective for fat burning because you're extending that overnight fast and adding on hours where your body's really burning fat for fuel. So let's talk about fasting and juice tox detoxes. Are they good for us? Should we do them? Should we avoid them? And when do we do them? Yeah, they're two very different things. Like fasting and juice juice detox is why they might seem like they have quite a lot of similarities in the health space. They can be so opposite because what is juice often made of? Yeah, like fruit. So you're just having like literally every time you have a juice, 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 grams of carbohydrates per juice. So I'm not a fan of like fruit juice fasting at all. I think that there are a few brands that do the vegetable-based juices. Um, They are bloody hard to drink because they're literally just veggies. (laughs) Um, I would prefer to do like a broth fast with my clients. So I always say that fasting is, is a muscle. So you've got to qualify yourself for fasting first. So if you're coming off lots of snacking, lots of carbs, a Western diet, and try to do a juice fast, it will go pear-shaped. There's, there's no way around it. You will be miserable. You'll be detoxing. You'll have sugar withdrawals. You'll be starving. You'll be angry. You've got to set for it. So you change what you eat. You get blood sugar control and satiety. You get your five hours easy, and then you look at your overnight fast, so starting with 12 a couple of days of a 16-hour fast with that MCT coffee for breakfast. And then you can look at a broth fast where 
you know, we know how important gut health is. We know that broth is an amazing superfood to improve the integrity of our small intestine and heal any intestinal permeability. Um, and we can actually reset our immune system in a couple of days. And a broth fast is a great way to do that because you're not having nothing. You're not just literally living on water for three days, but you're having beautiful uh, bowls of broth and you can do all your non-starchy veggies and a little bit of ghee or coconut oil to, to give you more nourishment from those amazing fats. And I love a good three-day broth fast protocol outside of pregnancy and outside of medical conditions and, and needing supervision from your GP because of any pharmaceuticals that you're taking. But if you're healthy and you've qualified for it, then that's so much better for you than a juice fast. And what about fasting with just taking nothing, just not eating? Um, there's not many people that need to do that. It's mm -hmm. therapeutic in the way that it's used in a controlled, medically supervised environment for those with type 2 diabetes, obesity, metabolic syndrome, some cancers. Like it does really need to be supervised. Like don't get me wrong, there are a couple of people in the health and wellness space that have earned their stripes and they do water fasts. Um, you need to know a lot about your body. Um, you need to make sure you're hydrated and looking at your electrolytes. You need to be like blood testing quite frequently. Um, and as a general rule, I'll, I'll say that suits males and women that are past menopause, not so much those of us that are of, like, are of fertile age or menstrual cycle age because it can become a stressor. And we're trying to put fasting in to be beneficial and to, to transform our health, not to be something that impacts our hormones or, or gives us an extra stress that we definitely don't need to add to the list in this day and age. So I tend to not, I mean, I don't prescribe water fast ever, yep. but um, they definitely have their space in more of a therapeutic sense. Love it. Um, and we keep going through this list and I'm just, I actually <laughs> thought, yeah, I think I know that. I think I, I don't though. Low fat <laughs> diets, Steph, and low carb yeah. diets, whether we talk yeah. about them to combined or are they completely separate. I know some people just, you know, don't have any carbs at all and some people mm. have minimal. Let's talk about low carb diets. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want to talk about low fat first, actually? Because sure. that's where we've come from. So, Great. you know, for the last five decades, the, the Western world has been told to follow low fat and calorie counting has been the way forward. Now, you know, for me personally, coming into the space in 2011, people would look at me like I had two heads because I'm talking about eggs and avocado and healthy fats. And a lot of us have either done a 1200 calorie diet done low fat or being told to avoid certain foods for a health condition or high cholesterol or weight management or whatever it might be. Now, that's a myth that has been so clearly busted in the literature. I think now we're coming up to nine years ago, but it's so hard to unlearn something that you know for your whole life. Like I've got clients that are 60 only no low fat their entire life they've been told that that was their answer and they're still not losing weight right because it doesn't work <laughs> like counting calories only works while you're counting them as soon as you start to eat more food the weight goes back on you haven't addressed the underlying metabolic issues so if we just circle back to what i said before about insulin Remember, that's our fat storage hormone, and we want that to be low so we can burn fat. It's also a really important anti-aging strategy and managing inflammation, which is the answer to long-term health. 
So I love low carb. I don't call it the D word. I don't believe it's a diet. I believe it's a lifestyle. I love lower carb, healthy fats because one, the focus is in real food and two, we're managing our hormones. So we're keeping insulin low, but we're creating that beautiful fat burning metabolism. So we are more efficient at burning fat for fuel. We can last a couple of hours without snacking. We are promoting this beautiful anti-inflammatory environment. And that's our goals for, you know, our health today, but definitely our health into the future. Now, there are a lot of people that tend to be like become quite extreme and they've gone from cutting every single fat off the meat and out of the diet to cutting every single carbohydrate out. And I always say that health is not found in the extremes. It's found in the gray, in the, the balance, you know, that 80-20 approach where you might eat super well 80% of the time, but you've got some fun to live and to share and to enjoy yourself 20% of the time. So low carb is not no carb. We definitely are losing our perspective. We're afraid of fruit and sweet potatoes. Um, but as we discussed earlier, there's a time and a place for those foods. And it does depend on your goals and, you know, your current metabolism and how much exercise you're doing. But a small amount of these foods are really important. You know, there's nothing that is as good as fruit for antioxidants and we need some sort of starch for our gut bugs to improve the health of our microbiome. And we just need to keep our perspective that if it comes off a tree out of the ground or from an animal, it is going to be the best choice for us. Makes complete sense when you put it like that. You mentioned before, I want to talk about sugar cravings, and you did mention earlier about our meal times and how often we eat and that it's a it's a byproduct, these cravings in the afternoon are a byproduct of what we've eaten earlier, right? Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. So we understanding how we beat these sugar cravings is ensuring that we eat properly and eat the right meals earlier, you know, during the day. So can you just talk mm. a little bit more and elaborate about these sugar cravings and I guess when we go through all of these losing, you know, losing fat, all these different diets and fads and myths and everything else, how do you keep your energy levels up? How do we, mm. how do we make sure that we, I mean, you're probably going to say, well, follow this and you'll feel great, but how do we kind of keep it all working, sugar cravings, keeping energized and eating well? Yeah, so you're right on the sugar cravings. Like they shouldn't technically happen, definitely nowhere near daily if you are getting that right balance of non-starchy veggies, proteins and healthy fats and controlling your carbohydrate load. But cravings can come for other reasons, yeah. That can come from being stressed or having a pattern of habitually emotionally eating. Some females get more cravings in that sort of last week of their cycle before their period arrives and that can they occur for different reasons. Um, in some people, it's a magnesium deficiency, so we can definitely look at increasing our dietary intake of magnesium, green leafy ve um, veg, nuts, seeds, cacao, but we also can find like a magnesium supplement can be really helpful for some people to help their cravings. Um, energy levels, though, uh, will be stable when you're not on that blood sugar roller coaster. So if your energy is up and down outside of like adequate sleep hygiene and, and getting that quality sleep, you know, you will feel very different when you're nourishing your body with the right foods. Like as a general rule, the cravings are definitely coming because you're either not eating enough protein or you're not eating enough fat. And that's a lot of us. We've been guilty of under eating and cutting out fats. We've been discussing those two are our satiety macronutrients. So we absolutely need them to keep 
us satiated and to keep those cravings at bay. When we do all of this, how straight away you go, is it difficult? Is it overwhelming? You have to be really organized. You have to be really prepared. How do we, if people find this a little bit confronting and they say we have, you know, you have to be so organized, you do shopping, go to the markets on Sunday and you have to cook and prepare all your meals. Mm-hmm. Can you live like this in and without it being overwhelming and without being really organized? Well, I think it's a great question. So before what we didn't actually dive into was what, what that food actually looks like. So if we talk about the portions and the veggies, proteins and fats, how that actually translates into food, that could be a smoothie that you whiz up in five minutes before you leave the, like the house in the morning. We, I tend to prescribe a lunch as leftovers so that when you're cooking dinner that night, we always say cook once, eat twice. So if there's two of you in the house, you make four portions and you can do the math depending on how many people are in your house. But if you think about typically in the West, our dinners have been the best. You know, everybody has a pretty typical meat and veg or stir fry or chicken salad or something that's really beautiful and fairly simple. Like none of my recipes are very complicated. They're all on the plate within about 20 minutes. And I'm a big believer in that simple can be the best option. All you need to do is make twice as much and you've sorted out lunch for the next day. And if you had a smoothie most days midweek where you can sneak in some greens from some frozen zucchini or spinach, berries, your nut butters, your chia seeds, like I've got so many recipes online with the exact portions that I'd love you guys to try. But you can keep it so simple and then when you have a little bit more time on Saturday, you might get out the slow cooker or you might do a roast when you've got some friends over to give yourself that extra those leftovers that can get you ahead for the week but it's pretty common to feel the way you feel like it's pretty overwhelming when you're making a huge change but a lot of it is like riding a bike yeah like you have to start with those training wheels and it's the consistency that's going to get you there but yeah find a couple of simple recipes that you love and stick to those and then when you do have more time you can get a little bit more creative and do your cauliflower rice or your cauliflower pizza or whatever it might be love it i have two more questions and one is and probably a very popular question when when we eat out what are the best choices to make yeah so i think it's about deciding whether you're in the 80 or the 20 yeah that is <laughs> so if you're in the 20 percent yeah, yeah. Then if you're in the 20%, then have what you want, honestly, because you should be really enjoying yourself for that small portion of the day, week, year, whatever it might look like. But if you're on the 80%, then you go back to thinking, right, what is a meal that's going to give me non-starchy veggies, protein and the healthy fats you know, lower on the start, so less potatoes or less rice or less pasta. So it might be a steak and salad or it might be, you know, a, a roast vegetable salad with tuna or it might be um, going to a Japanese restaurant and having, only having like a little bit of rice in a California roll but more of the sashimi with the seaweed salad and the edamame, like veggies, veggies, veggies. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it is about that balance and, and looking for something on the menu that replicates, you know, what you're having for those dinners and I think simple again can be best. Which nowadays all of this is so accessible when we're eating out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really Absolutely. easy to, to live by this and to make it part of our lifestyle. I have a last question. It's something that we do on 21st Century Women. Steph, what is a quote that you live by or one that might inspire you? 
Um, for me personally, it's a it's a cliche, but <laughs> it is it is do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Like for me, finding the natural nutritionist and my passion to share nutrition with the world was such a catalyst in my own kind of health and, and wellness journey. And it is something that keeps me excited every day. And I just want everybody to find what their passion is because I think it's a huge part of health and, and longevity. Beautiful. And so if people want to get in touch or they want to come and, con- you know, have a consultation, the the natural nutritionist can jump onto your website and your social media. You have also just released a book uh, at the back end of 2018 Low carb, healthy fat nutrition, and it is available online on your website, Target Big W, everywhere, Amazon. Basically, if you want to find it, Google, punch it in, and it will be there. Um, so, congratulations! Absolutely. And it will—I'd imagine there's lots of different things in there that you know go into much more detail than we have today. For sure, lots of myth busting as well. <laughs> Fabulous, we like a myth bust. Mm. There's so much stuff Absolutely. out there now, so it's um, you know it's tough. But thank you so much for clarifying Pleasure. some of this stuff today. I know it certainly helped me and there'll be listeners out there that go, oh, okay, well, I don't need six meals today. I can start mm-hmm. making some adjustments. Pretty life-changing. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> massive. Um, but thank you so, so much for sharing and, um, yeah, being part of 21st Century Women. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.